This is Jets at Noon with Cameron Poitras and Jim Toth on 680-CJOB. Jets, Golden Knights, Game 2 tonight, 9 o'clock, 6.30 pregame show with Kelly Moore. We will set you up for tonight's game this entire hour. Derek Taylor in for Cam Poitras. Of course, Jim Toth, Cappy, as I like to call him. He's wearing the whatever the hell that is once again. The pull boy... Right. Reporter or paper delivery boy hat from the 20s. The newsy uh, Jim Toth. From the man, the, I'm from running late today. I'm going to wear this That's, hat. Isn't that the best? That's the best. <laughs> uh, plenty of uh, plenty of audio uh, later in the show. We'll hear from Nino Niederreiter. We'll hear from Brendan Dillon. We'll hear from the coach. We'll hear some from the Vegas Golden Knights. But uh, first up, I wanted to talk to uh, someone who's taught me a lot about hockey over the years. Uh, she is part of the Staff and Graph podcast. She writes for the Hockey News. And most impressively, is this correct, Rachel? Unconfirmed reports. You got seven chicken nuggets in a six-pack. Is that right? That's correct. Uh, I went for a little late-night McDonald's run last night. Seven nuggets in a six-pack. You are what we refer to in the media as a miracle child. <laughs> like. There, there are small joys in life. That is, that is a very big small joy when you get that seventh one just by accident. Yeah, and DT knows I love my McDonald's. So opening that up at eleven thirty at night and finding out that I got seven instead of six. Uh, it's a pretty good end of the day, I gotta say. Yeah, somebody at that drive-through likes you. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> hey, it's Rachel again. I'm gonna give her an extra nugget. I love it. I love it. You get 21 in the 20, it's not the same as seven in the six. All right, uh, Rachel, from game one of the Jets and Golden Knights, were you more surprised with the Jets' performance or the Golden Knights' performance? I would say the Golden Knights. Um, I think the Jets all season have kind of been this team where they're capable of clearly being one of the top teams in the league. We saw right up until All-Star game, they're battling it out with Dallas for the division lead. And so for me, they started to find their form in the last sort of five or six games of the season when they really needed to to get into the playoffs. So I think they're a better team than their standings kind of results showed. But for Vegas, under Bruce Cassidy, they're really good defensively. They don't give up a ton off the rush. Um, they're pretty disciplined. And to me, I just thought that Winnipeg did a really good job of getting Vegas off their game. They made Vegas play to how Winnipeg wanted to play, and Winnipeg was able to capitalize on that. And I think the bottom line is Winnipeg's best players outplayed Vegas's best players, and, and that's what you need. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. The The Vegas players talked about, well, they denied us the middle of the ice, and that's something the Jets repeatedly talk about. We've, we, we've got to do that, and I think it probably shows up in the, kind of the shot heat maps. Is that what, what you're referring to when you talk about the, the Jets and what they did in Game 1? Yeah, I think that's exactly it. You look at the heat maps, Vegas likes to create offense, not only off the rush but off the cycle, and the one thing is they don't take shots from everywhere. They like to get into the sweet spots. They like to create the best opportunity possible. And in the same way, they, they don't like to give up the middle of the ice. So I thought Winnipeg did a really good job, whether it was in the neutral zone or tracking back on the rush or in the defensive zone. They just took away the passing lanes. The sticks were in the proper lanes. They couldn't funnel the puck into that high slot area down to the front of the net. And when you've got a goalie like Connor Hellebuck, if you're only getting shots from the outside, you're in a pretty good spot because mm. I'll, I'll give up 40 shots against Connor Hellebuck that are all from the outside. 
seven days of the week. He's not going to let many of those in. And so for me, Vegas not being able to penetrate that middle of the ice was probably the telltale story of why, if you look at the numbers, Winnipeg outchanced them. They won the expected goal share. They won the scoring chance battle. They won the high danger chance battle. They just did a better job of executing their game plan. And Jim Toth, they allowed just two Vegas shots in the third period of that game. Yeah, I, I thought this was a total team win for the Winnipeg Jets, and we dissected it a little bit yesterday about, you know, you could look at every player but it, and what they did positively. Some players made some mistakes, but none to which you would go, well, this person needs to have a better game. It was a total team effort. I, I agree with you, and I, I'm wondering also, Rachel, like, um, so what did the Golden Knights do to counter this? Because the thing that stood out to me from the game was the Jets kind of did what the Golden Knights do, right? They scored off the rush. They were good defensively. They pushed everything to the outside. How do you think Vegas counters tonight? Yeah, so I think one of the things that Bruce Cassidy preaches, uh, it's, it's been a staple of his coaching, whether it was in the AHL, in Boston, and now Vegas, is taking away that middle of the ice, whether that's in the defensive zone, or through the neutral zone. And then Vegas does have one of the best neutral zone defensive setups in the league. So sort of what I would expect is what you saw, Kyle Connor was able to get going. The Jets didn't even have Nikolai Ehlers, who's their best transporter of the puck. But a guy like Pierre-Luc Dubois was able to get going through the middle of the ice. And those are big bodies that when they get going, can be a problem. So what I would expect from Vegas is they're going to be a lot tighter and be a lot more strict let's say about allowing Winnipeg's best players to sort of gather that speed they want to be able to stop them before they get that head of steam I think that's going to be really important because that impacts their ability to enter the zone and set up Winnipeg struggles to enter the zone if they don't have speed and so that's something I think Bruce Cassidy is going to look to attack so it's not so much in the defensive zone where you're going to have all of the things like block shots and there's going to be a more attention to detail in terms of sticks and lanes. But I think in terms of the transition play, you're going to see Vegas attack Winnipeg a lot earlier in the rush to try and stop guys like Dubois, Wheeler, Shifley, Connor from gaining that speed and being able to gain the zone because that's how they're going to prevent Winnipeg from creating offense. Yeah, what was it, Dubois, when he set up Kyle Connor's goal? Yeah, going right to left was able to get the zone with a little fake and and busted in and and they made hay that way. Talking to Rachel Dory on the Jets at noon, Blake Wheeler. We were raving about him after game number one. From what you've seen this season, from what we know about Blake Wheeler, what are the odds he could have that game again? Be it tonight, be it in this series. Um, I think there's a probably a pretty good chance that let's say the series goes seven. I think there's probably a chance he get three of those seven are probably pretty good Blake Wheeler games. The reason I say that is because if you look at the history of some of the players on the Winnipeg Jets, they have a history of, for whatever reason, they, they don't play up to their contract in the regular season, but when the playoffs hit, they somehow find a way to perform. Pierre-Luc Dubois is one of those players. Um, he was better, obviously, during the regular season, but he was arguably Winnipeg's best player in game one. Mm-hmm. I think Blake Wheeler belongs in that conversation, too. He was fantastic for Winnipeg. And even though he's not the captain anymore, and there is some, I guess, consternation about that, that could affect motivation. I thought Blake Wheeler did a really good job of sticking to what makes him successful. And I find that when Wheeler sticks to what makes him successful, he has good wall play, he gets his feet moving. 
He moves the puck efficiently. He wins his puck battles. He stays to within what he's good at. He's still a very effective hockey player. Sometimes he tries to do too much, and that's when we get him playing sort of above his threshold. That's where mistakes get made. That's where you kind of notice him on a more critical basis. But I thought he did a really good job of just sticking to his strength in game one. And if he can continue to do that, then I would expect him to continue to perform in the playoffs. He's not going to score at the same rate as he, as he has in years past, but he can still be a very effective hockey player, especially as it pertains to being a possession player and leaning on some of the Vegas guys. Like Jack Eichel doesn't like to be leaned on. Mark Stone is a guy that's coming off a pretty severe injury. You don't know if he's 100%. Lean on him a little bit. William Carlson, not that big. Jonathan yeah. Marcheseau, not that big, right? So I think Wheeler can be effective because of his build and because of how he plays when he's successful. Along those lines, Rachel, that's what I wanted to go next with. Um, to me, like uh, the the study of it, the analytics of it, everything um, is so valid. But then you talking about Blake Wheeler, and, and I'll throw in Mark Shifley, Connor Hellebuck, like this core kind of whether they consciously or subconsciously know this, that this is their last kick at the can. And, and game one to me came down to want. Like Mark Stone – for a guy who hasn't played since January and is coming off back surgery, his second one in nine months looked like he wanted something, and the rest of the team didn't. To me, how much do you weigh in on this series and maybe going forward, the Jets' core and where they're at in their careers sort of just wanting it a little bit more? I think that is a factor that needs to be weighed. Um, you, you bring that up, and it's a conversation that happens in the city that I live in. Um, it's, it's something where you look, and Mark Shifley – there's been a lot of conversations about trading him. Blake Wheeler, there's a lot of conversations about the value of his contract. You have the Pierre-Luc Dubois situation where like nobody knows what is going to happen there. So I think you're a set. Oh, did we lose Rachel? Sorry, Rachel, we, we lost oh, you there for a second. Yeah, go ahead. We got you now. Okay. I was going to what I was saying was that this conversation happens in the city that I live in. Yeah. And... And so you look at it, you don't know what's going to happen with Pierre-Luc Dubois. There's the Montreal rumors. You don't know what's going to happen with Mark Shifley. Blake Wheeler's level of play hasn't been at the standard that it used to be at. You don't know if Connor Hellebuck's going to fall off. So I do think what you're seeing from Winnipeg is that added desperation. They're willing to do that little bit more, like you mentioned with Mark Stone, because truly you don't know if it is your last kick at the can and they need to, if they want a reason to stay together, they need to show Kevin Shovel Day off and ownership that they are worth keeping together. And they haven't really shown that. And so to put on a performance against Vegas and potentially win the series, I think that would go a long way to, to showing people around the league and within their own front office that they've still got something left in the tank. They're worth sticking in it for another season or two. Mm -hmm. And so that when you have that desperation, that absolutely does play a factor. You're willing to go that extra mile to make that hit, finish that check, block that shot. You're just willing to do things that generally speaking, you wouldn't be willing to do. A good way to show that would be a second straight win against the top seed in their own rink that coming up uh, tonight. Follow Rachel on Twitter because she's got a thread going of egregious Non-calls in the playoffs so far. Oh, man. Uh, I'm endlessly entertained with, with when you start ranting on Twitter, buddy, because you're absolutely right with all this. It, high stick a guy in the face in overtime and score a goal 10 seconds later? That probably shouldn't happen. 
Yeah, I mean, when you and I were doing radio last year uh, or two years ago at this time, we were talking about officiating in the playoffs. And I I don't want to hear anybody say that the officiating standard doesn't change in the playoffs. Because, I mean, Thomas Noshek stuck his elbow out on somebody last night and is not even getting a hearing. And to me, I think the Michael Bunting suspension was warranted. Like, that hit has to come out of the game. But so does the no-check hit. You also can't have somebody getting high-sticked and then scoring 10 seconds later. The refs say they don't want to impact the game. But by not calling that penalty, you put the Islanders down 2 nothing. And so for me, I look at this and I go, you need to figure out a way, whether it's having an official in the stands, removing two from the ice and having them call penalties from the stands, I don't know what the solution is, but whatever we're doing now is not working because every other sport, the best players are playing in their finals. You look, LeBron gets superstar treatment, and I'm not advocating for that, but I also don't want Connor McDavid being put in a headlock Every other shift is on the ice. <laughs> exactly. Uh, Rachel, we got to hit the break. I, I appreciate you. Uh, follow her on Twitter at Rachel Dory, the Staff and Graph podcast, uh, the Hockey News. Thank you, buddy. I appreciate you giving us some time this afternoon to break down the Jets. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Rachel. Rachel Dory with us on Jets at Noon. Uh, Plenty of audio from the Jets. They practice later today or skate later today. Uh, Plus your text coming up. Jets at Noon on 680 CJLB. Jets at Noon on 680 CJOB. Your one-minute penalty kill with Skyler Pistol Peters. (laughs) I love it. This from Kevin on the text line. The one-minute penalty kill question. Do Transformers There's questions buy, now? Yeah, this one. Do Transformers buy life insurance or car insurance? Skylar Peters, what do you think? Oh, man. That's got it. That, <laughs> that's, that's you know good. what? Out there, there's an actuary that would have to determine how much time they spend as a car and as a uh, person robot. Smart. Person? Yeah. yeah. They are more than meets the eye, so your insurance agent has to be more than meets the eye as well. I, right. I, I think we got scored on. This penalty kill is not a good one. <laughs> are, do, are you? the kind of question. They're zipping it around on us there. Yeah. No, that's a great question. Kevin, you should keep <laughs> sending those. I love it because that's Kevin, one of those ones. If we get a sponsor for this, all the money's going to Kevin because he religiously, whether it was the power play with Sarah or now the penalty kill with Skyler, is just like all over this segment. You two said like you've never sat around debating stupid stuff at like 2 a.m. If Jesus was a tree. It reminds me of the couple that won 60 million. There hasn't been a newsroom in my career where two hours will go by. What would you do if you won 60 million? (laughs) And then then some news director after two hours goes, it's not happening. Will you guys go do some work? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I sure wouldn't if I had 60 million. But up, up, up. Never see me again. (laughs) Skyler, thank you. I'd still work. (laughs) Yeah. That's your penalty kill with Skyler Peters. There was nothing like knocking on the door of someone who, some family who'd been next to or connected to a murder. That's that's one of the real joys in life. I couldn't <laughs> I couldn't possibly have left that for oh right. That was uh, not the best there ever was. 204-780-6868. We'll hear from some of the Jets and Golden Knights as we go along. Uh Bill and St. James, can you guys comment on this please? Uh it's a headline from the this website. Uh, Vegas Golden Knights reportedly sabotaged the Jets locker room, get slammed for Bush League move. The the story was uh, the gang in the morning uh, yeah. uh, had Jamie Thomas on and said, what about this story that all the exercise bikes in the Jets area had the pedals taken off? 
Jamie Thomas said it, it was one pe- it was one pedal. Yes, it was one pedal, and, and they- I heard it was broken. That's why it was yeah. off. Like so, I know this story ballooned, and I know so many people in the text line. At, as Derek just said, seven eight zero sixty eight sixty eight says, "Will you guys talk about this?" But it apparently from the reporters there, like Mike McIntyre and everything, said it's one pedal off one bike, the bike immediately outside the room, and it, it was apparently broken, so it was taken off to go fix or replace. Yeah, so it, it got telephoned. Supply chain, it might not have arrived yet. I don't know. Who knows? But it got telephoned, Purple Monkey dishwasher. It became sabotage. So as we understand it from the folks who are who are on the ground in Las Vegas, uh, it was it was one pedal on one bike, so Nothing that would say the Vegas is trying to say. Now, if but, Vegas did try to sabotage the Jets, I would say there's gamesmanship in the playoffs. Well, and to be fair, Jamie brought up the story from 2018, and I know this because I was covering that series as well, is they wouldn't turn the lights on in, on the Jets' practice. till like So the practice, if it was at 1130, and you know this, like you show up in an arena, the lights are on. Doesn't matter when you show Always, up. Always, yeah. Or at least an hour before the any any team takes the ice. Visiting team practices after the home team. So the home team practice and the Jets say the Jets were on the ice at 1130. It was dark until 1130. And then the lights came on because so many guys who are banged up, not playing, come out. A lot of players, a lot of players who are playing like to come out at 1115, 1120 and skate around for 10 minutes before practice starts. Pitch black. (laughs) And they're like in the city city that you can literally see from space. Yeah. You can't have the lights on at practice for this team? Ah, uh, it's 1987. It's the punch-up <laughs> in Piastani or whatever that was, right? Uh, Ask Mike Kane about that uh, one. Ah, those Theron were... Theron Fleury just started throwing them. I'm like, where's the lights? <laughs> <laughs> he just turned... I finally saw that. I got to see that a few years ago. I'm like, wow, they really did just turn the lights oh, off because they had no control. Mike Kane has <laughs> some great stories, but if you ever see him out and about, that is one of the classic ones when the lights went out. I what, love it. What do you do in a situation like that? You just start throwing. <laughs> just, you just swing away. And, well, because you're going to get hit by somebody. You, you may hit a teammate, see. you may hit a Russian, you may hit a Canadian, <laughs> but you're going to hit somebody and they're going to stay hit. All right, let's hear from some of the Jets. Of course, they are having their pregame skate in about an hour from now. Uh, we'll have that audio. Christian and Mel will have it throughout the uh, afternoon and, of course, a ton of it on the pregame show with Kelly Moore starting at 630. Uh, Brendan Dillon, the satisfaction of winning a playoff game on the road. It's awesome coming into the other teams. I think that's one of my favorite parts of playoff hockey is just going into the other team's buildings, getting booed on your walks in, um, you know, getting yelled at and, you know, seeing seeing just the, the crowd when, when you're able to score a goal. And um, it's 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 just the best coming in. We're obviously looking forward to playing at home as well, but um, just for guys playing their first games yesterday too in the playoffs just enjoy it was a big message from us enjoy uh enjoy the moments and uh we really did uh, they really did this led me to an interesting stat from the nhl jim toth if you are the home team and you have a two nothing lead in the series after two games you win roughly 88 percent of the series if you wow. are the road team and you have a two nothing lead after your first two road games so if the jets win today they win 81% of the series. Wow. I, w- I would have thought, okay, I know they're the lower seed, but I would have thought winning two on the road was much stronger than than that. But nonetheless, if the Jets win tonight, they are well, absolutely and, in the catbird seat. And I didn't know that was that high, but I think that speaks to game three. And like I said yesterday, to me, game three is most pivotal. And it's pivotal, obviously, if you're up 2-0 or down 2-0 um, or 0-2. But or tied one one. It's usually like it's something like in the the mid to high seventies. And if you win game three, you go on to 
Uh, but to me, like I think, Derek, we talked about this. Uh, I'm not. I don't want to say I'm not surprised. I'm a little surprised at how effective the Jets were I at what am. they were doing yeah. on Monday. But the way they did that is what I said. I like. I thought there'd be more momentum from Vegas. I thought they would have like 25 to 30 shots. So those are the aspects I'm, I'm surprised about. But what the Jets did, I'm not surprised about. This is a team that when they've had success this year for the first three months and the last three weeks, that's what they've done. Maybe not to this degree, but that's what they've done to be successful. There is a blueprint for this team to find success, and that's it. Now, they did it at an exceptional rate. That's what surprised me. So I think they can come back 2-0. I really do. Um, and I, 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 I have them winning this series in six. If Vegas wins tonight, it won't surprise me. But if the Jets win tonight, it won't surprise me either. I am fascinated by this game and what Vegas counters with. Because yes. as, as Rachel said and as um, – she mentioned about Cassidy, their head coach, like he's a, he's a tactician, right? Like he will find a way to counter this and get more out of his lineup. So to me, it's, it's not so much. I'm interested to see what Vegas is going to do. I'm interested to see how Winnipeg counters what Vegas is going to do, or if they can continue to do what they did in game one. But I have no doubt in my mind, like that was utter domination, it really was. So take away another dominating performance and just have another good one. I don't know why you wouldn't think they could come back 2-0. And what a game three that would be. And then what a whiteout party that would right. be. And then it gets more tense, oh, right? Like if you come home for game three, Vegas has to win that game. Because I oh, don't yeah. think or it's I the, don't think either team in this is going to win four straight. Or it's the gentleman's sweep. If 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 you're up 3-0, they, we're just looking at the gentleman's sweep because it's, yeah, it's, Vegas would be absolutely done. At that point, plenty more to uh, to come. Uh, 204-780-6868 for the text line. Got a couple of uh, folks asking about Rachel's Twitter account. It's at Rachel Dory. R-A-C-H-E-L. Dory is D-O-E-R-R-I-E. Rachel Dory, our hockey analyst, joined us in the first block. She is fantastic. And, uh, yeah, she is documenting all of the missed penalty calls. And fingers crossed there are not any that affect the Jets game. Like, is it not Can horrific? I- Oh, it's it's so, so I watched that so play bad. and I was I saw the Islander stick come up and raise the Carolinas guy stick and I thought, well, but then I remember the rule is it doesn't matter. Control you your have stick. to be in control of your stick. And it hits him in the at all it hits times. the player in the face. To me, that call and how the ref looked at everybody after the goal went in was no different than game one, Dallas, Minnesota, overtime's ending, first period of overtime, and the guy gets tripped. And he's just laying on his stomach looking up at the ref, and the ref's just looking back at him. Yeah, And that moment of those two locking eyes, what are you thinking as a ref? Or like, what is in your mind that you're looking at a guy who just got tripped in his face down looking at you and you're not raising your arm to call a penalty? Well, where's my whistle? Oh, I swallowed it. Oh, I actually physically Oilers fans. You just fell on your face on your own and the period's over. Well, Oilers fans are like, well, our guy didn't really trip the Kings player. He fell down. They went and score on us on the power play in overtime. And now you're what is happening here? You called that, but you don't call this. And it's in. I can take I can take bad calls both ways. I could take if all the officials in all eight series were making bad calls or calling it too tight or too loose. But I, I just can't do it with both of them. No. I can't do it with and then, when you have to wonder which way is it in this one. And I'm happy Bunting got three games. I think that any headshot like that deserves more than one. I thought it was going to be one. He's never been suspended before. But then how is Hartman playing in game one for Minnesota after he crushes Nick Ehlers like that when Nick Ehlers doesn't have the puck? 
So I just baffling, you know, and 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 that baffling. was a that was a bad, and this not because it happened to Ealers or the Jets. It's a bad look on the NHL because you have one guy that can't play in game one from a dirty hit, and you have another guy who gave the hit is scoring a goal in overtime in game one. Yeah, how does that balance out in the NHL's mind? Like, is not what Bunting did? Is that not at least a two gamer for Hartman? If Bunting's yeah. getting three in the playoffs, which we know it's harder to get suspended well, in the Well, Harbin pokes the puck out of the way so he can very intentionally drill Nikolai Ehlers. And I heard a bunch of nonsense about, oh, well, it's a it's a hit on him. No. He, You're supposed to play the puck. He moved the puck out of the way so he could hit Ehlers. He so, very intentionally again, I just, dispatched like it's, it. It was nonsense. Yeah, We can go round and round. But like that, that was... The fact that Hartman played in that game is one thing. The fact that Hartman got the overtime winner while the guy he hit couldn't play in game one of their series speaks to... And what what's the diff? If you give him three games, Hartman, who says this is atrocious? This is, I mean, Minnesota will, there, but even Minnesota behind closed doors will go. That's a that's a bad hit. Yeah, we'll go to break. It seems like precedence doesn't really exist when it comes to the National Hockey League. Uh, plenty more from the Jets and Vegas Golden Knights. Six thirty pregame show right here on six eighty CGOB.